What's going on, guys? We are back for another episode of the You Know Ball podcast. I am your host, Trill Brodude, a.k.a. Porter, and I am excited to have on today a guest who has been on the podcast before um, in in a larger format. We did a crossover episode of, of his podcast, The Gastro Enteritis Blues on Liberty Ballers. Um, so you might know him from there. You might know him from writing for Liberty Ballers. We got Steve Lippman. What's going on, Steve? Thank you so much for having me, Porter. It's good to see you. Uh, how you doing? I'm very good. I'm just very excited to talk about another report related to Ben Simmons from Jason Dumas, mm-hmm. who seems to be a friend of the pod, uh, just based on the amount of times I've talked about him in the last three months. I know every time I listen to your guys' podcast, it's the same thing, where it seems like Jason Dumas is the the new Sixers front office whisperer. Um, I know. And yeah. yeah, he he seems to be he seems to be plugged in. I'm not sure who the source is. I have I have my right. uh, I think it's Elton Brand actually, but I, I'm not positive. Really? I do because I think that there were a lot of reports that started coming out. Like, you know, Keith Keith Pompey, Kyle Newback, Derek Bodner, like they've all seemed to be pretty plugged into the front office. But Dumas seems uh, around the time uh, last year when there was like that transitional period, it seems like Dumas was a little bit more plugged into kind of what the front office was doing than the other guys. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the, the only constant there was, was Elton. Like the old front office guys were gone, and then all of a sudden he gets all these plugs. And I'm wondering if it's if it's not Maury himself, then maybe if it's Elton or someone below them. Right. I mean, it, he definitely seems like he has somebody in there. He's not a fake report guy. Like there are no. definitely people on on Twitter who are who say sources and they just like to get some retweets. Uh, yeah, and I don't think he's that. blocked me. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, uh, and, th- and those people, I, I really think have their place. I sometimes I'm just dying for some sort of rumor that I can fantasize about. Absolutely. Um, but no, Dumas definitely has somebody. So uh, I think that he has. Uh, he's worth listening to. I think. Was his last report before this one that I guess we're about to talk about, was his last report before this one the one where he said the Sixers are hoping to trade Ben Simmons tonight on draft day? Yeah, it was essentially that they would like to get a deal done. So also keep in mind, he might have people in the front office in Golden State too because he is a Bay Area guy. Like he's from Philly, but he he now lives in the Bay Area. He might be plugged into them. So – so he might be playing both sides of this, where it's like, yeah, uh, before the Warriors make their selection at number seven and fourteen, <laughs> right? They, the right. Sixers would love to get a deal done because the the Warriors seem to be a little bit desperate to make kind of win now moves. They just brought back uh, Steph on a four year extension, but there definitely seems to be at least some pressure. They're saying that they want to try to maintain their core while also developing guys. We know that's incredibly hard. We know there's only yeah. been the Spurs are essentially the only case of this ever doing that, being able to win and develop guys in-house and, and get lucky enough to draft a Kawhi Leonard. So in this new report, Jason Dumas says uh, that he has cut off communication with basically everyone in the Sixers organization. Everything is going through his agent, Rich Paul now. And Ben is actually open to going to Golden State though he doesn't have much leverage in the situation, as he mentioned before, because he has four years left on his deal. Now, this isn't exactly new information. Jake Fisher reported this uh, before the draft. Jake seems 
by the way, shout out to Jake. Yeah. He was getting a lot of people questioning him leading up to the draft with all the, and the free agency. He nailed pretty much everything that has happened over the last week. Like, how everything. many reports? Jake, Jake came on with us, um, I think, the week before the draft, after the Beal report yep. that he had, which was a couple of days after that, completely echoed by, like, Woj and Shams and all the sort of uh, airtight people. And he gave us the Ben Simmons thing at the end of our conversation, which was basically yep. that the Sixers have been unable to get in touch with him, really, this summer. And, and uh, he, you know, of course, the team denied that. It does the team no good to have that out there and to, uh, to substantiate it. But basically, uh, they, the, you remember, after the season ended, they were talking about all this. We, we know the right work to do. We've got a plan with Ben. We're all going to work together on this. It's like, very clear that that is not happening. And I think this Dumas report is just uh, sort of echoing what Jake said a couple weeks ago. Yeah, exactly. And, and it does kind of feel like it was the first time in my mind during the offseason after the draft, and I said this on the last episode of the podcast, that I was like, maybe there just is no options out there. Maybe it's just got to the point where it's like Beal's not asking out, Dame's not going to ask out. There's no big fish to go after. And then if there are no big fish, your backup options might be not satisfying options. So right. I I think at this point, it's it's like how many reports can come out that are just like, he wants out. The team clearly doesn't want him back, but they're saying all the right things. As I said to you before we started recording, uh, Doc Rivers is the last person I want handling a interpersonal conflict <laughs> in the locker room. If you know his history with the Clippers... And basically every team that he's ever coached, except for that championship Celtics team, he doesn't have a lot of great relationships due to these kind of issues that pop up as he is the coach. So right now, my my my, I, there's just no way he's on the team next year, right? So let me tell you my theory. Yes, yes, quickly, yes. There's no. I'm telling you, I think there is maybe uh, a one percent chance, and that only allows for the possibility that he gets hurt in the off season somehow and is sort of uh, not dealable. I think there's no chance that he's on the team. I go back to after the season ended, Woj reported that the Sixers brass, like Daryl Morey and Rich Paul met in Chicago uh, for the, at the draft combine to discuss the future of Ben Simmons. Uh, of course, couched in that was like, he's still part of the core. The Sixers love him, blah, blah, blah. But, I was talking on the podcast after that, and I was like, man, I've never seen one of those meetings between a high-powered agent and between a, um, uh, a team's general manager where they're talking about the future of an embattled player. And the answer at the end of it is, I'll just keep them. Like, <laughs> my theory is that at that meeting, they decided we're going to find Ben a new home. It's best for everybody. Like, I don't – I certainly would think Ben wants to get the fuck out of Philly. I don't know if I'm allowed to curse. I apologize. No, um, good. I don't give a shit. I, uh, so that's my, my, my theory is that they agreed then to find him a new home. They didn't want to release it. They still don't want that to be completely public knowledge, but of course there are leaks everywhere. And this is how it's going. That, that at that point, they, they have known since then that they're getting rid of Ben and they're trying to find the best off. Absolutely. And I think in the next week would be the most reasonable time just from like, the Olympics are over. If Dame is going to make a trade request, it will be in the next week. If you're holding out for that, if you're, and this is something that Spike Eskin brought up on the rights to Ricky Sanchez, which is essentially like 
the Sixers are holding out for the opportunity to be in on Damian Lillard, and Damian Lillard, all of his other suitors might have kind of fell by the wayside due to some offseason moves that have happened because teams just aren't willing to kind of wait this these kind of things out just because it's it's already a small chance that they mass out. And then it's an even smaller chance that you'll be part of those teams. And then it's an even smaller chance that you'll have the best package available to get Dame. So the Sixers seem to be one of the few, if really the only team, that that might be willing to put things on the back burner in order to be in on Damian Lillard, even if it means that they have to settle for some sort of backup option, which I could see happening. But I do just want to say, before before we, we, we continue with that, these people that are like, oh, well, Ben's going to Golden State and we're going to get Andrew Wiggins and James Wiseman. That's There's literally a 0% chance of that happening. You don't wait the entire offseason and say, we're waiting for better offers. Like, I'd rather take Malcolm Brogdon in the 13th pick in the draft, which it was reported that they turned down, than to take Wiggins and Wiseman. Like, that just doesn't make any sense from the Sixers' perspective. Wiggins doesn't fill a need. He's a bad contract. He's a better player than he was, but he's still at best an average starter, and he's making max money. And then Wiseman has particularly no value to the Sixers. And on top of that, you would have to develop him. He's just hasn't shown anything in the NBA so far that he's worth trading for. So if if that is your idea in your brain right now as a Doomer Sixers fan, just get it out of your head. It's not happening. They would rather take a few role players and picks offer from another team because Ben has no leverage. I know he wants to play in California, but that's just, that's just not how these things work. The only way that I would have seen them accepting any Warriors offer would be, would have been before the draft right. when they could have taken seven and 14 and traded it someplace else. Obviously that didn't happen. Um, so no, I don't, I think there's no chance they're doing the Wiggins thing. I, I just like, he's negative value. Like the amount that you have to add to him to make, to even get above water is so much. And it's just, it doesn't make any sense for the Sixers. Um, the Lillard thing is really interesting. I was just listening, I think, to what you were listening to with Spike. Um, Spike brought up that um, he thinks that Daryl is sort of waiting for resolution on this uh, Lillard thing, which I agree with. There's so much smoke about the Lillard thing. Like, we can talk about the True Hoop guy. You know, obviously, Dame was arguing with him on Twitter, and I don't know if he had nothing, but... He's not really a fake rumors guy. Like, you know, my guess is that he had some intel there. Dame, I don't think, wants to ask for a trade while he's playing for Team USA pursuing a gold medal. He doesn't seem like that kind of guy. He doesn't seem like he wants to thrust that sort of media spotlight on Team USA. So to me, it's always like when Dame gets home, we'll see what's what. And and Daryl, I don't think that Daryl has a guarantee Dame's going to ask for a trade when he gets home. But I think Daryl knows that there's a chance and he's not trading Ben until he finds out what's really happening with Dame. So listen, realistically, I look at it and I'm like, Dame's going to get home and look around at his brand new roster that he just said to the media is not good enough to win a championship and needs to get better in order for him to uh, stay there. Uh, And what did they do? They overpaid Norm Powell. So he's still there and he was a part of the same roster and they added Cody Zeller and, uh, ben Macklemore uh, and Tony, Tony Snell. Snell. Right. So obviously those are not meaningful improvements. Uh, and, you know, a CJ trade, people talk about how much Neil Olshay loves CJ. Like uh, there hasn't been much on that lately. So uh, it doesn't look like that roster is getting improved in a meaningful way. I didn't think there was any way for them to improve it, even if they deal CJ and whatever else, to make them a contender in the West. 
So right. uh, that's that's the big question to me is when Dame gets home, it's put up or shut up time. And then I think you have Daryl either making the move for Dame or really angling as hard as he can for Dame or taking whatever the next best thing is. Absolutely. And I think that unless there is some sort of home run trade out there that we're not thinking of with CJ McCollum, as you said, there's been no smoke around that. Uh, that's really the only way that you could make like a tangible upgrade to the Blazers roster to take them from like a good team to a great team to in that contending tier. And the amount of assets, future picks, whatever it is, you would have to give up in order to t- take CJ McCollum, who apparently is not as view- viewed very positively on his contract at his age, at his size. With his health histories, he's been banged up the last few years. He hasn't been viewed very positively around the league from a trade perspective, which is probably part of the reason why Portland hasn't traded him. And then on top of that, the one logical trade is the one that everyone keeps talking about with the Sixers, which is C.J. McCollum for Ben Simmons. Now, there's been whispers about Draymond Green. I don't think Golden State has any interest in trying to make Portland any better of a defensive team to maybe... And even then, I like Draymond, and like I think he would definitely improve their defense. But like if they, for some reason, did some sort of three-team trade or whatever it is, like I don't think a Draymond-Dame team is winning a championship. And I, uh, yeah. I, I just don't see like I mean, Draymond was the second most important player on those Warriors champion, the first Warriors championship team, but they also had Steph Curry in his prime, <laughs> and like yeah. a lot of really good veterans around them. So I just don't. I know Siakam's been tied there. Apparently, that could be a maybe. But even then, like these are all moves that like they're either guys in the same tier or there aren't a lot of teams out there that have invested interest in making Portland better, as Spike said on his podcast. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about uh, Simmons trade. So the question becomes like, okay, who's the guy? Who's the guy that Portland can go get and will make Dame want to stick around? And it's like, I don't really see it. Like, if I'm Golden State, personally, like, I I would find Draymond more valuable to that current healthy team than CJ. Like, I, I don't really see the point of making that unless you know that Clay is like hurt again and they need to do a different thing. Like, Draymond just had another incredible defensive season. And like, obviously, he can't do anything on offense anymore, but I don't think a healthy Golden State will need him to. Uh, Siakam is certainly up for grabs. I don't know. You know, there was a lot of Philly, Toronto smoke leading up to the draft. And I would wonder if, you know, that's something more like Siakam and stuff or Siakam and one of the, I would love to get Ananubi. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I don't see it really with Portland. I don't see the way that they can. And I think the bigger issue is that I don't think Neil Olshay agrees with Dame's complaint. Like, I yes. don't think that he agrees that his roster was flawed. I mean, he said this exact thing. He said that the, it, the problem wasn't the roster. They scapegoated Terry Stotts and, and we'll be fine. Like, that to me doesn't seem like a guy who's willing to attach a bunch of shit to DJ to get a new player in there. So uh, I think, you know, after, do you know when the last, when the gold medal game is for, for Damon Team USA? I think it's Saturday or Sunday. Uh, they okay, just had, so. Yeah, it, it's soon. Yeah, maybe next week might be put up or shut up time when Dame gets back and can really, I think, move on to that. Because I really don't think that he wanted to do anything while he's doing what he's doing right now. 
Yeah, it makes sense. Although we did think the same thing about Bradley Beal, and uh, then he dropped out of the Olympics and still did not make a trade request. So who knows? Sure. Maybe that won't happen. Um, and then I just want to touch on the Toronto thing that you brought up real quick. The idea of Siakam for Simmons made sense to me pre-draft when I thought they were drafting Jalen Suggs. When they took Scotty Barnes, I was like, there's no – like Ben Simmons and Scotty mm -hmm. Barnes. Like if you if you view Scotty Barnes as a piece of your future – a core guy, the similarities and crossover and making that offensive fit very similarly to Draymond and Ben is incredibly hard. Now your defense would be awesome, especially if it was just like a Siakam for swimming Simmons straight up type trade. But I don't know if that makes the Sixers tangibly better. I don't like the Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid, Siakam. No, fit. you can't do that. Can't do yeah. That. And now it seems like the Tobias, Tobias's contract seems pretty unmovable right now. Um, there were whispers that he might have been included in some trade talks, but I still, and, and of course the Sixers denied that immediately, but I, I think that Tobias is probably on the roster next year. Getting Siakam doesn't really help you. And then from Toronto's perspective, like I just, like, I don't see Ben, Scotty Barnes, OG, like Van Fleet. Like, I don't really see the vision there. In terms, like that's a fine team, and maybe they just want to stay competitive, but like it would be a clunky fit to say the least. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that the only angle really for Toronto there is them saying, okay, well, Siakam also isn't a perfect fit with Scotty Barnes. So True. we like Ben more than Siakam. Why not try to bring him in here and see what we can make of him? But still, I then from the Sixers, I don't think a one for one swap makes any sense. So I, I think it probably doesn't happen. Yeah, exactly. And then you're teaching two guys at the same time how to shoot, which uh, which which would be a lot fun. of fun. Sixers <laughs> 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 have never had issues with that before, so I can understand mm -hmm. why another team would. Yeah. Um, That's right. All right. So moving on to actual deals that were made so far, I haven't had a chance to hop on here and have any reactions. Thanks to uh, our guy, Danny Green, taking a very long time to choose <laughs> about where he's going to land. Uh, before we talk about the guys that are coming back, let's talk about the new additions to the Sixers, including uh, one of Joel Embiid's best friends in the league. Uh, Andre Drummond <laughs> was signed to a one-year vet minimum deal with the Sixers, which... I blame myself for, for shitting mm -hmm. on Andre Drummond for years now as a player and laughing at the Lakers for signing him and Cleveland for trading for him. So this is all my fault. You can blame me. Um, <laughs> so now it's been like two days since the Andre Drummond signing has happened. Uh, how do you feel about this? And uh, how did you feel about it when it happened? Did you talk yourself into it? What, what's going on with it? You know, this is really testing my fandom because I thought that he sucks for so long, <laughs> including when people thought he was really good. I always thought that he sucked. And I like, boy, you just you circle back around and you go, listen, that minimum bunch of rebounds, uh, you know, sort of Dwight with none of the buffoonery like, well, I, I don't know about none, but less. Um, sure. You know, it's like. Uh, listen, this wouldn't have been my choice. I think that, you know, he probably can't play in the playoffs and we're probably going to run into that again. But I have thought for years that the, the the Sixers fans worrying so much about the backup center has had a lot more to do with Ben than the backup centers. Um, and I have no expectation that Ben will be here. I think odds are he'll be fine. Not good, not bad. Um, 
weird with the uh, how much I mean, Embiid used to just embarrass this guy. Like, yep. truly, I would feel bad about like what he was doing to him. Um, I guess it's okay. I really think that he stinks, and I think that it'll probably be fine for 15 minutes off the bench. The the starts when Embiid sits will probably be testing my patience. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I thought what you said was so funny after the signing happened, which was, I have to give Daryl Morey credit. He's been saying he wants a swivel <laughs> big that can shoot and then decided to sign another drop center who plays drop coverage. He is not a switchable big by any means. And he's no. also the worst shooter of pretty much any big in the NBA outside of, like, Jakob Pertl. So It's unbelievable. Daryl, after the draft, was literally like, listen, backup centers, like, we got two things. Number one, they got to shoot. Number two, if they can't do that, they got to switch on the perimeter. And then free agency opened up, and he was like, yeah, whatever. He's like, yeah, let's get Drummond. Who gives a fuck? So, well, listen, we all die. Drummond. So, like, I don't understand what happened. <laughs> Uh, but, but I really I thought it was hilarious. I yeah. mean, the, the scariest part about all this is something that uh, I've thought a lot about, which is essentially pulling a, a John Horst, the Milwaukee Bucks general manager, what he did to Budenholzer by making the team have such little depth that he forced <laughs> Budenholzer to play the starters like 40 minutes a game in the playoffs, and it mm-hmm. actually turned out to be really fantastic. Uh, I feel like that way with, with Doc, with the backup centers. Like, I feel like unless you force him into either developing a Paul Reed, Charles Bassey, one of these guys that we have drafted, or you give him a small ball five option as the only option, he's always going right. to play the plodding big that is essentially out there doing a Joel Embiid impersonation, just not nearly as well. So from that perspective, it's frustrating. From like, if this team was normally constructed, I would be fine with it. Like, as you said, Andre Drummond is, even though he drives me insane and I have thought he was terrible for years and all this stuff, he's a fine defender. He's a solid defender. The metrics like him a lot more than I think, like, reality says. Uh, Tons of steals, right? Isn't that a thing? Yeah. That's his thing. Yeah. He's a big stocks guy, so he gets a lot of steals, a lot of blocks. Some of that is is hunting for them, but sure. But, I mean, still, to get that, that that will allow you to get out and transition. He won't be keeping up with that transition. No. But no, thank you. Yeah. But you know, he, he, it will definitely be interesting to have another guy that can essentially cause turnovers, protect the rim adequately not get absolutely destroyed on that end, and at least kind of similarly to how Dwight did in the regular season, keep the defense afloat while Embiid sits. Offensively, I unless you are able to acquire a pick-and-roll point guard, I don't really see Drummond having a ton of offensive utility. A Drummond post-ups are always go terribly. Um, I, he doesn't have any shooting ability, as we said. So I, I do – I am concerned – if they are able to not move on from Ben, if they're stuck with Ben, oh, this is yeah. a disaster because yeah. you just got another guy that cannot play with Ben in, in any way. And then you have, you have to go back to the all bench lineups, which we saw were a disaster in the playoffs and were mostly a disaster in the regular season. So I, I just have to judge this based on, like signing a player that probably should make more than the veterans minimum 
to be a good backup, especially when Embiid sits, just to keep you kind of afloat when he is hurt and when he sits and all that stuff. It's a fine signing on that. From the fa- all the other complications is where it starts to get like fucked up in my head, where I'm like, well, he doesn't have a great relationship with Embiid. He hasn't been a good locker room guy ever. And then on top of that, like he he has a relationship with Tobias. I guess they were like friendly when he played with them in Detroit. But like, you're not making moves to make Tobias Harris happy. Like you're making moves to make Joel Embiid happy. And then the Ben fit, and then the Doc thing. Like I would say, just if I was looking at this in a vacuum, I like the value of the signing. In the bigger picture, I hate I hate it. <laughs> um. So, Bert, I just want to say I I do think the Embiid. Drummond thing is probably fine. I, I don't think that they it bring in a be. veteran minimum backup center that he hates. Like, I, you know, I think Daryl is very cognizant of what Joel wants and doesn't want. Um, speaking of that, what do you think, did, when you saw the signing, it, at all for you, did it um, underline the possibility that, or probability that Simmons won't be here? Do you, do you take it at all as a signal that the Sixers are building a roster they know Ben Simmons won't be on? I would say yes, but also, like, we we did this last year. Like, we signed a plotting, like, sure. like, like we signed Dwight, and, like, maybe, and but, like, the thing is, Daryl knows that this doesn't work now. He has the numbers to back it up. The eye test tells you that. Everything tells you Ben with a traditional lumbering center does not work. And if you are preparing for the next season, and I believe that, Daryl Morey is competent enough to know that like you can't construct a roster with with Ben and the lumbering center as your backup guy, especially when you're you're factoring in and Bede misses twenty to thirty games every season. Then yes, I would say immediately my thought was, well, this has got to mean Ben's gone, right? Like what the fuck? But like right. if if he's gone, I'm fine with it. Like I I actually right. think it's okay, but. Uh, if he's if we're stuck with him and we go into the regular season with this same issue once again, then it's like, what are we what are we even fucking doing here? Yeah, I really hope they don't sign another center because I would love the Sixers obviously need three centers because they um, or three guys who can play center because of the games that Joel misses. I would love Bball Paul to get some backup minutes on the nights that Joel is out. Like I know. Yeah that Doc is not going to commit to experimenting with a 20-year-old as his backup center. He's not unique in that. Lots of veteran coaches just don't trust young guys. Like, I get it. Um, But I would hope that he, after talking about how much he liked Paul or, you know, we'll see what he thinks of Bassey. Like, I would love to try one of those guys as the third string center because maybe one of them can stick around and be a cheap actual backup uh, after that. So that's what I'm hoping for. I also think, like, obviously getting back Danny Green helps. They, okay, so right now the Sixers have one open roster spot, assuming that Anthony Tolliver's gone. Like, I think we can all assume they're going to waive him in the next month. The, the, they essentially yeah. added an extra year to his deal for if they wanted to guarantee it to trade him uh, for, like, mm-hmm. $2.6 million just as salary filler. And I'm sure he was like, yeah, I don't care. I'll probably just get waived wherever I go anyway. So it doesn't matter to me. So assuming that that is the case, now that Danny Green is back, Charles Bassey has not been signed to a regular contract. We have essentially the rest of the roster is the same as last year, except for Drummond instead of Dwight. And George's Niang, who we'll talk about in a second, instead of George Hill. I I do wonder 
if they look at that last roster spot, do they keep it open? They've done that in the past. Maybe wait for some sort of someone to get waived or something like that. Or do they just say, fuck it, let's sign Bassey to like a the deal where they use the taxpayer mid-level like they did with Isaiah Joe, and they sign him to like a three-year basically minimum deal to try to take on as little salary as possible because they're now into the tax again following Danny Green re-signing them, uh, re-signing with them. And uh, it all depends on the Ben trade, obviously. Like if you're sending right. out Ben and Tolliver or whatever it is, then you have to factor in how many roster spots you have coming back. So it's possible they might not make a signing. I would like to see them get either like, I, I, I'm conflicted between like, do you go out and sign a veteran wing big or guard, or do you just try to do that for stock into playing the young guys and actually developing them as NBA players? And I think that there is more upside to that element. Whereas doc, if you give him the option, as we explained, will always fall back on the veteran and the veterans, in a lot of the cases, unless you're getting what happened with the Knicks the other day with Kemba, where he gets bought out, like there's obviously way more upside to signing a guy like Kemba than there is to going out and signing like James Ennis or like someone who we know who they are. And like the, the, there's very few guys left that you could probably get for the minimum right now. And I just don't see, I think that they're probably done making moves until there is a Ben trade. And I think this is pretty much the roster that we're going to get going into next year outside of that. I think so too. I think, you know, as you said, it's like impossible to plan for anything without the Ben trade, because it just seems like that'll be such a seismic move one way or another that we're all going to be looking around trying to figure out what the roster is after that. Um, obviously the guys they signed and the guys that they have will stick around. I don't even know who that guy would be. Like, I think they could use another guy off the bench who could guard three. You know, like that would be nice. Yeah. But I don't know who that would be. You know, before the Drummond Kelly thing, Oubre. My, <laughs> Kelly Oubre is going to get money, though. Like, he's probably going to well, get is paid. Is he, though? Like, that's the thing is that, yeah, like, now Schroeder, Schroeder and Oubre are still left, and they just yeah. have, there's no cap space left. Like, there's like Schroeder. a Schroeder. Yeah. And, like, well, yeah. the Schroeder thing would have been interesting if they were willing to. So, basically, right now, I'm not positive. Don't quote me on this. I don't think that they can spend their entire MLE and stay under the apron. So if that is the case, that means that they essentially can't use their full MLE. And if they do, they get hard capped. So they get hard capped right. at like $143 million or however much it is. And then they have essentially no flexibility. Right now, if they just use a portion of their taxpayer mid-level, which they did uh, signing the Yang, and they brought back Danny to, to, to not put, you know, part of the reason why they got rid of George Hill was so that they probably had a little bit more flexibility in terms of spending. I still don't really understand why you didn't just pick up George Hill and then use him what's as an your, expiring. What's your read on that? What's your read on that? I don't, I can't it's figure it the out. the owners. I think it's the owners just trying to save money. And it's basically what it comes down to is like, if Danny had left, they, they basically had to make a decision and they didn't know whether Danny was going to be back or not. If Danny and George Hill left, we would have had access to the full MLE, the biannual exception, and then we also would have been able to add another veteran minimum guy, which was turned out to be Andre Drummond. So basically, mm -hmm. we would have been able to spend like $3 million on the biannual exception. We would have been able to spend $9 million on the mid-level exception to replace Danny Green and George Hill. And it's like, okay, well, at that point, you're talking about the guys we're talking about now, the Reggie Jacksons, the Schroeders, the Ubres, the guys who were legitimate NBA rotation players and, like, potential impact players. But once Danny came back, now it's like, 
okay, well, now Danny's back. And, like, we all we have left is the remainder of the taxpayer mid-level, which is, like, $3 million. So, like, right. the, the, the flexibility element of it and, like, being able to keep your options open. George Hill having the, the wave date when he had it was unfortunate for the Sixers because if it was next week, then we would be – we could have potentially brought back George Hill – we could have brought back Danny and like, yeah, we would have went a little bit further into the tax, but like Maury has shown before that like he's willing to just dump guys to avoid higher tax payments. He did that a lot in Houston. And as yeah. long as you're, as long as you're under the tax by the end of the year, you don't get charged for that. So, so the George Hill thing, like I would have liked to keep him around just for the salary purposes, because like now we're going to get, we have literally no mid-level salaries to change the roster except for starters who are Seth Curry, Danny Green, like guys that you want to keep around. Like literally George's Niang is now the next guy that we'll talk about. He's making like $3 million and then like Korkmaz is making like five, but like, yes, Korkmaz, right. But like, you're not going to get an impact player. That could make it really hard. That could now, you know, maybe if there is an impact player that matters enough and, and, let's say Maxi or Matisse aren't moved in a Ben deal, then maybe that's what gets you over the hump. But again, you'd rather not have to do that financially, especially. So uh, I don't and know. trading like four players for one in season is incredibly hard. Incredibly hard. Cause you got to wave a bunch of guys for the yep. other team and you know, you can't just, you know, accept and then wave the players you're getting. You have to make room on your roster. So uh, exactly. yeah, I think, you know, the George Hill thing was a mess sort of from the beginning. Like he wasn't healthy at first. And he never really played well consistently. And uh, and then they didn't even have the salary for the next year, which seemed like the saving grace no matter what. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's all an incomplete right now because of the big shoe to drop. But uh, it, it, I, I wish that we had that salary on the books because I know it would be helpful financially. Absolutely. And it also hurts that he just left and went back to the Bucks, yeah, signed right. for the Vets minimum. And it's like George Hill, as much as he struggled here, I don't, I don't see George Hill as like, a starter level player, but he can certainly be in an eight man rotation, like in a, either in a different situation where like, he's not asked to do as much, or he's just basically made into a more willing catch and shoot guy. Like we know he's a good shooter. We know he can still defend. Like I, I think that George Hill will be a nice addition for the bucks. Like him going back there, being reunited with the team that he just had, like basically this late career Renaissance with and being like the, arguably the the best player coming off their bench now uh other than if Connaughton is is coming off the bench yeah that's that's what makes it hurt a little bit more because the Bucks seem to get these guys on vets minimums whereas we just we can't do that (laughs) yeah I know it's uh there's no way that he won't kill the Sixers when we play him uh he's obviously at very close to the end of his career but um he knows that sort of ecosystem over there I'm sure that he'll be you know, the effective level that you expect him to be, that probably that we expected him to be um, over there in Milwaukee. So that'll be fun to watch. Yeah, especially because now they have Drew Holiday. They have a few who they traded George Hill for. Um, And I just feel like he still has a little bit left in the tank and that like you could have gotten maybe one one more year out of him. But I don't know. It's frustrating because, because we obviously can't judge all of this on its face right now, but at the same time, like I don't love the idea of the owners just being like, Oh, well we don't want to pay a higher tax bill when this was the reason that you brought in Daryl Morey. Like this, like 
that can't be a governing principle like that if you're paying like Morty and Doc 25 million a year guess what buddy like you're not saving money like you're going yeah, for it like exactly so I would sure hope that we're not pinching pennies uh going into Joel Embiid's 20 age 28 season with Morty and Doc in tow like this is not you know we didn't hire Willie Green of course I would have loved that we didn't hire Willie Green or some sort of assistant that we're growing with like right. now's the time to save money uh, yeah I just came up with this, but like this starts now. I don't know if you've ever heard of a phrase like that, but that sounds like apt for the Sixers. They should use that as a slogan. This starts now. Um, yeah. Here they come. Fuck you. This yeah. starts now. Okay, we're 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 throwing that out there. We're we're you can pay us royalty fees after this. You're on my podcast. Yeah. I know you came up with it, but it is what it is. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, <laughs> uh, so. The next signing that we will discuss was, uh, as I've mentioned, Georges Niang, who I think it's Georges, I'm assuming, because it's it has an S unless it's a, is it a silent S at the end? or I just don't know. I haven't heard his name ever said, which is always a good sign. Um, when I've, as someone who's obsessively watching the NBA for the past few years, and I have never heard anyone say his full name. Um, so, so. Uh, basketball reference has it just as George. Okay, so it's just George. That the pronunciation is just George. Okay, so that's Spike what, was that's right. I didn't know if he was right. I figured I listened to the podcast and I figured Mike would have uh, corrected him if it right. was if it was actually that. So it is just so we lost one George and we replaced it, him <laughs> with George plural, which is always right. a good sign. If you can get multiple Georges, then then it's 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 better than one George. So. Yeah. Um, we signed him to a two-year, $6.7 million deal. Uh, I mean, it's not inspiring by any means, but I've watched a decent amount of the jazz, and I've watched a decent amount of like highlights from him to know that essentially his role is going to fit well on the Sixers. Basically, he's an upgrade over the Mike Scott position. Um, some uh, Basically, a guy with size that can play the four, come off the bench, and just absolutely snipe. He's a high-volume three-point shooter. He's made over 40% of his threes the last two seasons in Utah. And uh, he's not a great player by any means, but he's a fine eighth man. Like, regular season guy probably once again, because the Sixers love signing regular season guys. He can make an extra pass. I don't think that he's like completely enable of that uh and then uh yeah so more shooting which is always a good thing i can't complain about that this was a fine signing for me how about you yeah i i think they missed uh somebody in this role since mike scott's first year i think that they missed having like a capable stretch for off the bench who can play minutes next to joel which i really think uh niang will be able to do and he's a quick quick release uh very like Consciousless shooter, it seems, and um, they could use that. Him and Korkmaz coming off the bench, I think, will be helpful. Um, and uh, and yeah, I mean, I I think that Niang will fit no matter what the roster really looks like going into the season. I think that he's a pretty easy like guy you bring off the bench to just get up some shots. In my experience watching him, he doesn't get killed defensively. Like I think he's sturdy enough to guard fours. I think if he gets hunted on a switch, then that could be a problem. But I think in terms of guarding his position, I think he's mainly okay at it. Yeah, I think he's a fine defender. Uh, he's yeah. he's a little bit slow, uh, just and he looks a little bit stiff. But this is a backup four. Like, I mean, you're not really asking yeah. much. And, like, 
a lot of a lot of the jazz players are constantly covered up by Rudy Gobert being like the best rim protector in the NBA. But the Sixers mm-hmm. have Joel Embiid, and, right. and at least now have some great perimeter defenders in help defenders in Danny Green and Thibault and Simmons and uh, you know Drummond's a decent backup rim protector. So like I think that this will be a totally fine signing. I don't think that he's going to be a total defensive liability, and a lot of those things will just be covered up by the fact that the Sixers will always have... Like, I don't think Tony Bradley was a great defender last year. Like, I think he was no. fine. He was a solid, solid defender. But, like, if you look at the metrics for Tony Bradley, very similar to George Niang, it's like they're off the charts because he's playing with good defenders, uh, like, around him, essentially. And the Sixers will always have at least two or three very capable help defenders on the floor to, to make up for anything that he might lack on that end. Um, and then offensively, like just having guys that are, as you said, just unconscious shooters, don't even think catch and shoot. That is your role. We now have Danny green, Seth Curry. Well, Seth Curry doesn't really fall into that. Seth isn't really as much of a mindless shooter as people probably think he is. He's a very capable shooter. He's one of the best shooters in the NBA but he isn't doesn't have a very quick release. Isn't just like programmed to do that. So right now you have, as you said, you have Korkmaz and Yang coming off the bench to be those guys fill that role, wings that can just basically unconsciously shoot. And then you have bringing back Danny Green. So at least you're adding a little bit more of willing shooters who will provide that spacing. And like I, that's why I'm fine with it. And like I could see he's kind of a he, he kind of fits that mold of like a Mori. Like when he brought in like Dan Danwell or Daniel House in um mm-hmm. I always call him Danwell because of the way that his name is called. It looks like but, it, yeah. Yeah, right. So uh Daniel House in uh Houston, like it, like kind of a guy you're like, who's this guy? And then he's starting for the Rockets and like he like the metrics say he's pretty good, and then like they he surprises and he's like an actual contributor. I could totally see that happening. The Sixers just need bench players, like like Last year, especially if Doc wants to continue to try to run these all-bench lineups, like they just need guys who are capable NBA players coming off the bench that aren't incredibly inexperienced. So overall, yeah. fine with it. I don't know. I'm, I just can't really be excited about any of this until we know what's happening. Especially as you look around the East and some of the things that have been happening, it's like as a Sixers fan, you're like, okay, like the Yang signing, what's about to happen? Like – it's just, you can't feel satisfied at this point at all. So uh, I don't blame any Sixers fans who are underwhelmed at this point because we're obviously, you know, Maury said it himself that the Sixers were not close, you know, last year. Like, uh, you know, if you're squeaking past the second round, which they could have in game seven, in game seven, you're probably not that close to winning a title. So I think that uh, that's an acknowledgement that they need a meaningful change. And I think they're working on that. Yeah, and I said this after we signed George. Actually, it was before we signed George Niang, but there were like a bunch of reports out there that we were about to. Uh, I was like, I'm sorry, I can't get excited over signing George Niang when the Lakers just got like seven good role players for ten million dollars. <laughs> like that's, and I know right. that like, and people were like, well, the Sixers are never going to be able to have that, and I'm like, no, I understand that, but like, if you want me to be excited about the Sixers, like. Use your use your full mid level. Use the tax. Use the trade exception we have from the Danny Greed Al Horford trade last year. 
make moves that get guys that are at least like more of these kind of guys so that like even if I don't feel great about the Ben situation and I don't feel great about the Sixers going into the playoffs, at least maybe they can get around further if they somehow get lucky enough to get back to get to the conference finals because they have better depth and they have like decent guys coming off the bench and and like the Sixers just don't get the the minimum guys they don't get the the uh, mid level exception guys. guys they don't get the buyout yeah. guys they don't get trade requests to guys to come here like <clears throat> I just want to see I want to see like if we're not gonna make a big splash Damian Lillard trade like I just want to see like basically what the Hawks did last year where they just get a bunch of good players and I understand we don't have a ton of flexibility and cap space and all that stuff but like. There are other teams, and and yes, there are bigger markets in New York and L.A. and stuff, but, like, they're willing to spend right now. And, like, I just need the owners to be willing to spend, and I need Maury to be able to find these value value contracts that just give the Sixers more depth and replenish everything so that I can have something to be excited about. Because I'm probably one of the few people that would get excited about signing a ninth man. Yeah, I mean, I I have... My brain has been broken by the Simmons stuff. So I just will feel no satisfaction until that happens. Like, for me, it's like, I, I got to see it, man. I got, I need that to happen. I, I can't do it anymore. I, I really hit a wall. I couldn't do it. Yeah, can't do it yeah. anymore. Ben Simmons yeah. apparently broke his own brain and also your brain. So, <laughs> Super I, so let's move on to who will be coming back. We we w- just found out that Danny Green will be re-signing for two years, $20 million, although the second year is non-guaranteed. So if Danny Green is to, I don't know, fall off a cliff this year, maybe not be quite the same guy that he was for the Sixers last year, they do have an out there either trading him at the deadline or just waving him after the season. Uh, and then, I, by the way, I'd love to have Danny, Danny Green back. Like, I think that it was kind of understated how much the Sixers miss just a guy who can, like, just be, like, a reliable help defender and just an unconscious shooter, uh, especially when, like, as much as I love Thibault, like, he just was not the guy. And, like, I saw a lot of people saying, like, well, Thibault's going to start now. And I'm like, the, the, the Sixers need Danny Greens. They need... Unless we trade Ben Simmons, Thibel's value isn't going to go up all that much because he's not making a leap as a shooter. So Danny Green's importance to this team as a veteran guy who has been there before, can play in the playoffs, is a willing shooter, all that stuff, great, love it. And I also just like Danny as a person, so it's good to have him back. And then uh, next we have Furkan Korkmaz, the third longest tenured sixer now, uh, which is wild to believe that we're here. All these years later, <laughs> he re-signed a uh, three years, $15 million deal, which I love the value. I think that Furkan could easily exceed that. Uh, I know that he's gotten a lot of shit from fans at different times, but I think we've all kind of come around to the idea of him being like at least a useful bench player, uh, especially he's still like, I think he literally just turned 24. The I other just day. looked it up. He's 24. It's unbelievable. Yeah, he's 24. Yeah, and I mean... I don't know about you, but like to me, three years, fifteen million for a guy that is like become an improved defender. So we could all know he's at least somewhat reliable on that end. Is a willing shooter, can capably put the ball on the floor. Like I, I think that's a fantastic deal, and I'm shocked that we got him for that little. I was going to say the same thing. I'm, I was surprised to see him back because I thought that we would be priced out of his market. But I think he gets better all the time. I think his shot is very pure and he shoots it quickly and 
he's savvy, you know, in the way that a lot of European players are sort of in the half court. Um, and yeah, he's super young. I think he has still has room to grow. And I think that we saw him get a lot better defensively last year, which was surprising. And uh, I think he's a very helpful part of the part of the rotation. So yeah, I'm happy that he's back. And I think he's going to help in a lot of different lineups. Yeah, absolutely. Which is uh, a lot to say, because two years ago, it didn't really seem like he was an NBA player at all. And then he goes from being kind of this guy that filled a role that the Sixers desperately needed when we didn't have any shooting, just as a guy that could come off the bench and shoot. And, you know, obviously the, the highlight of his Sixers career so far being the game winner in Portland uh, a few years ago. And now here, like, I mean, like, I think that, like, in a few years, like, it wouldn't shock me if Cork Moss in like a year or two is like a starter level player, or at least like a fringe starter, like a reliable. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. And especially someone that can fill in like when like Danny needs rest or Seth needs rest. Like he's, he's proven to be capable of that already. Now I, I am a little bit concerned about his athleticism come playoff time. Like it's not even necessarily a defensive thing. I think he'll, he'll be fine on the defensive end. I think the offense just, he struggles to create separation still just because he's not, he doesn't have like a lot of bursts that he doesn't have just like a crazy handle or anything. But as you said, he's very crafty, uh, continues to get better as a passer and ball handler every single year. And I, I don't know. I, I actually, I, as I said, I'm shocked. And I think that I still, I saw some people complaining about Cork Moss being back. Uh, very few people though, uh, more so than yeah. I would say uh, a few years ago, people complained about him a lot. But uh, I saw a few people complaining about him being back. But I just think, like, within the Sixers situation, where they're paying three guys the max, they essentially, as I said before, have no real flexibility from a cap perspective. They don't have a ton in order to really acquire legitimate talent. To get a guy who's 24 years old that can be a capable 3 and D player with maybe even more upside as a ball handler... At three years, fifteen million, like this could prove to be one of the best value contracts. Like it to me, it's kind of similar to like the deal that Justin Holiday signed with the Pacers last year in free agency. It was like three years, eighteen million, I think. And like to me, like there are certain guys out there, like a lot of people who they watch basketball and they understand whatever. But like I've seen a lot of people say, like we need to get Josh Hart from the Pelicans, and Josh Hart's a solid player. Like I like Josh Hart, but like. Cork Moss is just as good as Josh Hart, but Josh Hart is from Philadelphia. <laughs> he's at, well, he, he went to Villanova. I'm not sure if he's actually from Philadelphia. Yeah. But, like, it just shows you that, like, the perspective and, like, how we value guys here is very different just based on, like, whether they're from here. We have a connection to them or, like, whatever it is. Like, to me, Cork Moss is just as capable a player of that, and I, I like him a lot. So I, I'm just – I'm still blown away by how good this deal is. Yeah, I agree with you. I think they got great value on that. And, you know, towards the end of the season, it was, as a Sixers fan, it's like sort of easy to just go, you know what? He's going to get paid. Isaiah Joe will just take those minutes. But it's like, yep. that's a lot easier to say than it is in practice. Like being able to actually hold up throughout a full season and hit a good percentage of your threes and not get killed on defense. Like that's a lot harder said than done. So I think they'll still develop Joe and you know I don't I don't think that he'll be a part of the regular rotation but in spot minutes maybe he'll get some I think it was smart to keep Furkan around because I really do think at 24 he has room to continue getting if not better just more consistent so yeah, yeah it's good to have him back and I I do wonder if um 
part of me was like, well, if they lose Danny Green, maybe maybe Furkan has to step into the starting role just because you need that shooting with the starters. And now they're bringing back Danny Green, so it just adds to your depth. And like, hell, if fucking if Isaiah Joe can be a capable shooting wing that can also ball handle off off the bench, like it's possible he takes he dips into Shake's minutes. Like I I I think that like there's a world where you can even maybe in the regular season run like a 10, 11 man rotation and have the majority of these guys in the rotation. Like, I don't think as doc had showed before, he's willing to do that. And like in the regular season, as crazy as the all bench lineups uh, made me, uh, they, especially when in beads out, you're going to need as much depth as you can. So having more shooting because the Sixers plan when in bead is out is essentially uh, shoot threes. <laughs> That's it. Right. Right. Right, exactly. <laughs> Put up 100 threes and hope we win. So having more shooters that can do other things, always always welcome, in, in my opinion. So And also, like, in terms, of, in terms of Simmons, something about him has always been somewhat restrictive to the lineups that they could play. Because, of course, defensively you can play him anywhere, but offensively he's such a specific guy and he's so limited in such strange ways that it's like, okay, we also need somebody out there who can – dribble and pass because in the half court there's not much that you're going to do with Ben like if you get a real initiator in here then I think you can worry a lot less about whether or not Isaiah Joe can run a pick and roll you know yeah absolutely yeah I think I think getting a guy and it's it's the same thing that I, I said about George Hale it's the same thing that I've said about a lot of these guys where it's like we have seeing the Sixers with a real half court primary initiator could change the ceiling of the team just based on the fact exactly. that you're asking you're asking other guys to not do the things that they're like bad at essentially like you know like obviously you don't want you don't want Corkmoss handling the ball a ton like you're fine with him attacking closeouts and coming off pin downs and all that stuff but like you generally speaking like he can't be any sort of point guard you don't even want Shake Milton really doing that all that much so like outside of like Maxi Tobias and then Ben in transition and then Embiid in the half court like you you don't really have a ton of guys that you're like trusting to like run your offense and I think having that primary initiator could make everyone's job a little bit easier just from like they have to focus on being effective off-ball players who can attack closeouts who can cut who can do these things that they've never been able to because they've been asked to do way too much with the Sixers during their tenure totally I'm with you yeah all right so we both like Danny Green coming back. We both like Cork Moss coming back. Uh, excited for another season of Inside the Green Room on NBC Philly. Uh, <laughs> our favorite, our favorite uh, shooter who has a podcast in the NBA. Uh, yeah. Certainly by um, miles. Yeah. Yeah, definitely better than the old man in the three. Um, <laughs> so it, yeah, I mean the bar's not super high, but um, or whatever Duncan Robinson's one is. Oh that yeah, that, well, Duncan Robinson's a white shooter. He's the new JJ Redick, so he needs. Yeah. He also needs his own podcast. Those are the rules. Uh, yeah. I look forward to Furkan Korkmaz's uh, podcast in a few <laughs> years. <laughs> um, all right, so let's go around the rest of the East. We already talked about the Bucks. Uh, George Hill signed there. They also picked up Rodney Hood. I mean, the Bucks. They lost PJ Tucker. I think they're going to still be very good as long as they have those core three guys. I think their defense is always going to be really, really good. I do have some – not concerns. I do have some questions about their offense. I think that their defense largely carried them, 
And in a regular season, and I don't mean the regular season, I mean in, not, in a non-COVID slash crazy injury season, I do wonder if they can get back to the finals. Uh, I have my questions about them still. But obviously Giannis is like arguably the best player in the NBA right now. So, you know, maybe maybe they could crush some of those doubts. And, and like, I don't think losing P.J. Tucker is that big a deal for them, even though everyone seems to think it's the biggest deal in the world. No, they kept they kept Bobby, Bobby Portis. Uh, Giannis seems to like either get better in a different way, more subtle way, or commit himself to be a different sort of half court player, which I think is incredibly commendable uh, almost every year. I thought they were going to get killed by Brooklyn, and I probably still would. You know, if they were lining up today, I would still take Brooklyn over them in a series. But credit to them, they capitalized on what was in front of them, and uh, yeah, I think they'll be. Very good, but uh, you know, at the start of the season, I probably wouldn't pick them to win the finals again, but they certainly could. Yeah, I mean, you, you never know what's going to happen. Maybe Giannis just continues to get better, and you know, I, a lot of their guys are still in their prime. You know, Brooke Lopez is a little bit past his prime, but a lot, a lot of their guys are younger-ish. Um, you know, either in their early twenties, mid twenties, late twenties, and I think that. Basically, if I were to look at it from like a tiered system, I would have Brooklyn in their own tier. But I think that you just have to put Milwaukee either in it or in their own tier as the second tier, just because I think that like you can't win a title and then be like, oh, well, all these other teams are just as good as you, if not better than you. Um, but right. speaking of of Brooklyn, uh, they signed Patty Mills, which fucking pissed me off. I was having an existential crisis in Target when I got that notification. I was like grocery shopping and I just looked down and I see the Patty Mills is signed with, and I'm like, somehow they replaced Landry Shamit with the fully actualized version of Landry Shamit. So true. It's so true. Patty Mills is great. I, I've wanted him Love for him. years. I think he's great. Um, and uh, it's good. Great. I'm glad that Brooklyn has like another sort of killer on offense i'm glad that's great yeah they need more shooting obviously there they have you know only like th- what three of the best shooters three or four <laughs> of the best shooters in the nba already um yeah. they ha- basically everyone on the court can shoot at all times except for nicholas claxton so i'm glad that they just continue to add uh more talent to their team they really need that also another thing about them they so they trade landry shamit for javon carter and the sun's first round pick and I'm like, I think that Javon Carter's just as good of a player as Landry Shamit, and like, will definitely add more to Brooklyn than Landry Shamit did because Landry Shamit's only use was shooting, mm-hmm. and Brooklyn already has so much shooting that it, it, he doesn't provide a ton for them. And Javon Carter like is can hit corner threes. He's a very scrappy defender. Like he kind of fits right. that Bruce Brown type mold. That they that they had last year, and now they get another guy. Plus, they get the draft pick to to draft Davion Sharp, and I'm like, this shit is yeah ridiculous. Yeah, so. Sean Marks being that good and also getting all of those guys and being in Brooklyn, it's just unfair. I just really miss the D'Angelo Russell era of the Nets. That um, you could just sort of pat on the head and be like, ah, oh, look how cute they're having fun. They're they made D'Angelo an all-star even. How, how nice is that? Um, and now they're just like an absolute like Terminator force yeah. uh, that is, is like the worst. So, yeah, good for them. They, 
Yeah, yeah. no, it's 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 awesome that they went from having like three three uh real hoopers who weren't as good as people thought they were in D'Angelo Russell, Karis LeVert, and Spencer Dinwiddie. Although I do kind of like Dinwiddie, but Dinwiddie's good, yeah, yeah. But they had those three. And then they they upgraded them to literally the three best hoopers in the NBA in Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden. And now they're at, able to add depth for cheap and draft well, and they do everything. And it's it's making me into a doomer and absolutely furious. So at least we have that to look forward to next season. <laughs> Assuming that they the thing about the and like uh, Matt Del Rio who comes on the podcast all the time, you know Matt. Um, he has said before that he likes super teams because it gives people something to root against. And I'm like, but now I'm just going to be rooting for players to get injured, I guess. <laughs> yeah. That's never fun. That's, that's I don't want to do look. that. Yeah. You don't want to do that. No, you just have to hope that two of the five best players in the NBA uh, decide to get worse at basketball. Uh, <laughs> that would be great. And if uh, Kyrie gets worse, that would be a lot of fun too. So yeah, not hoping for in- injuries, just hoping for regression. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I just hope they get old. I hope that Father Time catches up with them. And that, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I hope that they... <laughs> or they focus uh, on other interests or something. That would be yeah, great, too. Yeah, explore, yeah. Yeah. Kyrie goes on a vision quest, all that stuff. Um, exactly. So, speaking of old, the Miami Heat added <laughs> Kyle Lowry and P.J. Tucker. They also brought in Markeith Morris. Um, I liked what Miami did. Like, I think that Lowry is still very good and i think that like he's going to add another element to their offense he's still a very good defender um i don't think that this really takes them to like the next level though like i think that they're still in like the third tier in the east if like in terms of like i said the the nets have their own tier and then the bucks have their own tier or you could maybe say their second tier if you think those two teams are the first tier i still think miami's in that second tier like i don't see them as like a title contender because of these additions. I agree. I don't, you know, there's something about it. I do think they'll be better. They had a tough year with COVID and Jimmy got COVID and they had some weird stuff that they had to deal with. Uh, Hero was much worse last year than he was his rookie year and his bubble fake performance. Um, I, uh, I don't know. I, they'll definitely be good. They will be the biggest pain in the ass to play. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like it will suck to play them. Um, I, I guess I don't know what it is about them because Lowry shoots a ton of threes off the dribble and off the catch, and they could use that. And uh, Jimmy's very good. And I guess I just see them as like a pretty clear level below those top two, um, despite the additions. And and part of me just wants to see how it's going to work offensively. But uh, I'm sure they'll be, you know, very good and, and they'll be in the thick of it, you know. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I think that the PJ Tucker signing is getting massively overrated. I think that uh, <laughs> he's a fine player. Like, I, I think that he's become one of the more overrated role players in the NBA. His offensive utility is standing in a corner and now missing a bunch of threes. He doesn't hit threes nearly the same clip as he used to. His defense is great when you need him to guard another guy's wing, uh, another great wing. He he annoyed the hell out of Kevin Durant in in that series. But at the same time, like, I think that people overreacting to the, the Heat getting a 36-year-old P.J. Tucker who's on his last legs, who doesn't have a ton of offensive value, who, yes, he is a capable defender, but, like, Miami has plenty of capable defenders. Like, I don't really think that, yeah. like, 
he takes them to like the next level. Like I think he's a fine addition. I don't even think he. I think that the, there's a world where we can look at this and be like, he's actually not even really like a starter level player anymore. Like he could come off the bench for them. You know, he is so famous. I think is part of the problem is that like his, yeah. him and then his like sort of aura and his defense, it's all very famous. So people see that Miami got PJ Tucker and it's like, how the hell in the world did Miami fit PJ Tucker in there? But it's like, he's not a seven and a half million dollar player, which is what he's getting. So, um, you know, in the playoffs guarding, you know, they have to play Brooklyn. I think he will be valuable then. I think most of the time he's probably certainly not even close to that value of the contract, but Again, if you're them, maybe all you care about is having a guy like him to put on Durant uh, in the yeah. in the spring. So you know, we'll see. He has to hold up too. Like you know, it, as you get older, it's easier to get hurt, and that's something they're dealing with for I guess whatever three of their top six guys or whatever. So uh, yeah, I think that the Tucker thing is overrated because of how uh, you know famous his his mystique and his defense are, but he's not actually worth that contract. Yeah, and I think that he is going to probably be a little bit better than he was in Milwaukee and Houston just because of Lowry and Butler shot creation. And, like, also you can run Bam out of the high post to create open shots for him. Like, I do think that Miami will have more shot creation similar to the Houston teams where he really thrived with James Harden and Chris Paul, which will definitely help him. But at the same time, I just don't know why people are like, yeah, it's, it's like you said, it's like, oh, well, of course, Miami does all, oh, and I'm like, he's fine. He's a fine player. Yeah. Like I think that he's, yeah. he, he in in a specific role, he can be decent. But like, I don't think that he's quite the player that he was even a few years ago. And I think that he's he's being a little bit overrated. Also, Markeith Morris, like, not the best, uh, the worst it's, Morris it's brother now. Yeah, it's he's it's not good it's anymore. It's he he yeah, outside exactly. of the bubble, he's been pretty <clears throat> pretty unplayable for the past few years. I don't really think that that's big, that big of a deal. Um, and then moving on from Miami, who I, as I said, second or third tier team, like I think they'll probably be, I mean, come playoff time, they're probably better than the Sixers just because we know the Sixers, how they are. I think they'll <laughs> be like, the, I mean, maybe they're like that. Maybe they're like the Sixers of last year where they're like, we have to prove that we're like good again. Kind right. of. And they push for yeah. that one seed. And then they're like, they're trying to avoid, Milwaukee and Brooklyn if they're the two and three seed and we're the four seed or something like I or the Hawks or something like I could see that happening but overall I just don't really see this as unless they make like another move on top of this or Hero and Bam just take a leap and it's just like oh out of nowhere you go oh shit Bam is now a top 15 player and Hero is like good again I just I I don't see it for them, but uh, a lot of people yeah. seem to be high on their off season. So Pat Riley's yeah. going to die soon. So he's making all these moves like uh, like there's no tomorrow. So his uh, finale, his grand finale. Yeah, it's it, this <laughs> this will be his final masterpiece. He's going out on top, <laughs> uncut gem style. All right, so um, let's see. Uh, Nick's Nick signed Kemba. That was crazy. The Thunder bought out Kemba Walker from his contract. Um, and the, the New York boy returns home, uh, to Madison Square Garden, where every time that you see Kemba play a big game, they will always play that clip mm-hmm. it will, for mm-hmm. the next five years. If he stays with the Knicks for the rest of his career, expect to see the shot from 10 years ago that he made against, that poor, uh, who's that poor guy he crosses over who just has to see this for the rest of his fucking life. I know. Who's who was that? Was that Brad Wanamaker? It uh, might have been. No, no, no. It was a big. It was a switch. So it was oh, a big. okay. Yeah, okay. Um, it was on a switch. Gotcha. Yeah. 
I don't this poor guy. Who, yeah. Well, yeah, we should have Dan on. He might know. It was a it was his yeah. pit. So there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dan would know. <laughs> um, so then they also saw they brought back pretty much their whole team. Um, and then except for Alfred Payton, which I'm sure Knicks fans are very excited about. <laughs> and um, they also signed Evan Fournier. So basically, they just stole two players from the Celtics. Um, right. Uh, Kemp, I, I think the Fournier deal, I was like, oh, that's a little bit of an overpay. Like, I think Fournier is a fine player. I think he's probably in that 12 to $14 million range, and they're play, paying him like 18 But then when I saw that they got Kemba for eight a year, I was like, well, then that doesn't even, that does that contract doesn't even matter anymore. Mm-hmm. Kemba, Kemba could prove to be like an ins- even bad Kemba last year. Like, all, all in all, like, he's still like a top 70 player in the NBA. And yeah. To get that guy for eight million dollars a year is an absolute coup. Yeah, um, I think what they've done is basically fine. Like they ran it back. I don't think this will. I don't think this changes at all my expectation for their playoff success. Like I don't Same. think they're a they're a team that's going to win multiple rounds. I probably won't pick them to win the first one. I don't buy the Randall thing really. Like I think this might have been yeah. an outlier year for him. Like. That of all the contracts, the one I would sort of be most holding my breath about is that one because we just saw what happened in the playoffs, and we've also seen a bunch of seasons before this of him where he wasn't nearly this kind of player. You know, like Victor Oladipo had that one incredible season in 2018, and it hasn't been the same before or since. So sure. you sort of wonder if things just click sometimes. Uh, thrilled for Nerlens Noel to get 10 million a year. I'm very yeah, happy about that. Um, Derek Rose wouldn't have signed him, but I'm sure he'll be fine for what they're doing. Kemba is obviously good value. The Fournier deal is too much money for my taste, but my whole thing, I was talking to my buddy yesterday and he was sort of saying like, same old Knicks, like they're falling into this trap of signing all these guys who don't matter. But it's like, I don't think that'll inhibit at all what they're really trying to do, which is get a star back to New York. And like showing competency is important. And they did that last year. And I think to sustain it another year will be important. And if and when somebody wants to come there, they'll move it around and they'll, they'll be fine. I don't think they, there's really an albatross contract there that, that will inhibit them from getting a star. So oh, I, I wouldn't worry agree. about it. Yeah, they're bringing in the big names again, but they're doing it at in a smart way, in a way that they're not overpaying them. They're not giving up a ton to get them. Like They're just signing these free agents who are like, at worst, solid players that you could maybe even get more value out of. I agree with you. The Randall deal, like, I mean, I wouldn't want to be the team that pays him $27, $28 million a year. I get why they did it. I just, I. So that's, that's the going rate after you have that kind of season. Like, that's just what you're going to get paid. I would just be yeah, nervous. Absolutely. Yeah, I would be nervous because it's like if you're angling to make that star trade, I don't think there's a team out there that's like, oh, we want to start our rebuild with Julius Randall. And I also right. think that if you are to get, let's say they're in it for Damian Lillard. Let's just say we we fast forward like they've been, they've been tied to him. If Damian Lillard's traded to that team and you have to give up R.J. Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, Hicks, mm-hmm. whatever it is, plus contract filler, maybe Evan Fournier just to make the money work or whatever, that team is no better than the Blazers. Then, so you're then like, the one he's leaving, exactly. Yeah. So unless there's multiple moves to be made, I, I like I think Kemba, Dame, Randall, like that's a good team. That's a good playoff team, but I would still put them in that like Miami tier. Like I wouldn't put or the Sixers tier, the Hawks. Like I wouldn't put them in a tier with the Nets. Like I, I don't really understand well, all of this like 
Dame Dame wants to go there and be there without having that precursor move that is like they get the Paul George, which makes Kawhi Leonard go there. Yeah, and I agree, and I think that that's the exact same way that we would we would describe them in the West, Portland in the West right now, which is like they're they're good, they're a playoff team, but they're not winning anything, and I think that's right. what you would have in New York too. So. Uh, I think the Sixers just, you know, not to go back into that conversation, but I think they're uniquely set up in a good position to to trade for Dame if Dame gets traded. For sure. And yeah. also, like, I mean, Philadelphia is like New York, new New York anyway. I mean, like, come on. Yeah. Like, exactly. As someone who lived in New York and moved to Philadelphia, I read a New York Times article that said we're like the fifth borough or whatever. How many boroughs are there? Six borough? Six borough. There's, yeah. There's yeah. five, right? Yeah, yeah. Staten Island, Bronx. I'm in one of them right Brooklyn, now. Yeah. yeah, Manhattan and yeah. Queens. Yeah, okay. Queens. So Philadelphia is the sixth borough. Dame, if you're listening to this, please <laughs> just know that we can. You can just take an Amtrak like right there. You'll probably take a private Super car easy. if you're ready. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, check the trunk though. Check the trunk if you're in there. <laughs> yeah, do not take Ubers, uh, especially if we sign JJ Reddick to a veteran's minimum. Um, all right. Uh, so the next big splash team that has been making moves is the Chicago Bulls, which not great news for the Sixers. Levine was obviously one of the big targets that we were hoping for to come here to the Sixers. It seems like they're making moves right now to try to make him happy, make themselves into a playoff team. They acquired Lonzo Ball for basically nothing, but then they turned around and they traded a first-round pick um, and basically Thad Young and contract filler to get DeMar DeRozan to sign him to a big deal. They brought in Alex Caruso, and they brought in Sixers legend Tony Bradley on a veteran's minimum. So what do you think of the Bulls moves, and like, what do you think this does for them? I think they're fun. I like the Lonzo thing over there. Uh, DeRozan, I've, I've grown to appreciate him uh, on Same. a level which is not – I don't think he's one of the guys that really matters in the playoffs. Uh, he's had really bad playoff moments. But but for a guy who, like, never developed a three-point shot, he just got really, really good at what he's really, really good at. And I yep. respect that. I think that uh, it, it's, you know, for Zach Levine, who I really like, I think it's a show of faith to him that, like, we're going for this. I like the Lonzo fit. I think they're probably like a, around a six seed, um, but you know they'll certainly take that. And I think that it's probably a step. You know, the, the question will be: Does the DeRozan thing just not work out over there? Um, but I, I would, I would think that it, it does okay. And I, and I, you know, I don't think this is any sort of championship conversation. I don't really necessarily see the path to it either. Uh, but I think with those three guys. With Vucevic, they'll have a solid team, and I would expect them to be in the playoffs. But but that's about it. Where, where are you at with them? I I like it. I mean, I I think it's and this is something that I talked about before. I I actually kind of criticized the moves that they had made so far up to the Lonzo deal. Like I like the Lonzo deal. I I'm with you with the Demar Derozan thing. I like if I'm building a championship contender, I don't want Demar Derozan right. on my team. But if I'm building like a team that is like a good playoff team that can just like basically be a pain in the ass for one of the higher seeds. Maybe I want that four to six seed range. DeMar's great for that. Like, I mean, he did that in Toronto. Uh, he did that the one year in San Antonio. I think that he he is going to be, I think he'll be better offensively with the Bulls because the spacing that they're going to be able to provide him 
was something that he did not have in San Antonio. He did not have mm-hmm. good three-point shooters around him. And now you look at their starting lineup and you go, damn, you've got a bunch of really good catch-and-shoot guys with Levine, with uh, Lonzo, with Vucevic, and with Patrick Williams. And the only issue I do foresee with them is, like, I'm kind of like, I don't value defense as much when it comes playoff time. Like, I think the Hawks showed that there are ways to cover up bad defenders uh, if the other team cannot take advantage of that. So against the Knicks, against the Sixers, against teams that don't have a ton of off-the-bounce creation guys, that you can essentially play bad defenders and get away with it as long as you have, like, a decent rim protector. I don't really see the Bulls' defense in the regular season being... Like, I think they'll have one of the worst defenses in the NBA. Um, I think that Vucevic, he's okay, but, like... He can't be your like clean everything up guy defender. No, he's not good. Yeah, no. yeah. yeah. If anything, he's, he's average. He's yeah. an average defender and like and can struggle in certain matchups. And then you're making up for the fact that Demar Derozan is already. You want to try to hide him and like Patrick Williams and Lonzo are decent, but like Levine tries really hard, but he's an average to maybe he's gotten to the point where he's like an above average defender. But like I do worry a little bit about just like their regular season defense. And, like, that translating to wins. Because right now they essentially have a lot of guys who I like, like, as players. Like, I like Vucevic. I like uh, Levine. I like DeMar. I like Lonzo. But none of these guys have ever been, like, other than DeMar in his years in Toronto, have never been, like, the guy on a winning team due to some of the flaws that they have and some of the stats that might not translate to winning exactly. But I think it's a better situation for all of them. Uh, that will translate to winning a little bit more in Chicago. So I think they're going to be good. I don't know. Like, I think that I think that building up in Chicago, like, I think in theory, Chicago, Atlanta, like, even Philly, like, we could all be cool markets if we showed our value similar to the way that you said about the Knicks. But, like, right. I especially Chicago and Atlanta, because, like, people really seem to like those cities. But the thing is, is, like, they're not New York, they're not LA, they're not Miami. And... Like, and you have the legacy there, and you can build it up, and you can do all that shit, but, like, I don't think that them having this go for it, go for the six seed, go for the five seed, and be an, an a pesky playoff team, unless Zach takes a real leap, and Zach becomes a player, and Lonzo continues to build on his game, like, I don't really see them as, like, a, a team that's going to be threatening for a title anytime soon, and I also don't see them as, like, becoming a destination market that's the the hard thing is uh there's value in getting up to the sixth seed and showing to the nba universe that you are competent and that you like know how to keep your shit together and win games and you're gonna have a playoff series all of that it's hard to not get roped into that treadmill that is sort of forevermore now you're now you're like the the sixers after iverson which are like right fringe playoff teams that never had any chance to win a title. So uh, yeah, that's, that's the risk. And if I were them, I'd be very cognizant of that and very like careful about what's the next move. How do we find our way to take that leap? And maybe that leap is packaging two of those guys who are good for a guy, you know, who makes more sense. But again, nobody puts Chicago on their list until they look like they're not a shit show. So I think it's probably going to be an important step toward competency. And it's also, a fear that they get stuck there. 
True. And also, I guess the thing is, is that, like, one of the reasons why I think people have not, like, been, like, so eager to play in Chicago besides all of their incompetence is, like, you're always going to live in the shadow of Michael Jordan there. Like, like you'll never be Michael Jordan. And, like, right. if you're Kevin Durant, who, like, loves Zach Levine and, like, all that shit, like, you want to build your own legacy. And, like, the, I, right. I do I do think that, like, I remember at one point Kobe was almost traded to the Bulls and, like, it fell through or whatever. But I do think that there's always a part of these players' minds where, like, I want to go to a place, like, I want to be Steph in Golden State. I want to be, you know... KD wants to try to do that in Brooklyn right now. Like, I want to be my own thing. And, like, it's the same thing as, like, even going to, like, Cleveland and being, like, you'll never be LeBron type thing. Not that anyone would ever right. want to go to Cleveland. But but the idea <laughs> – the not that any NBA players – Cleveland, I'm sure, is a fine right. city. But, like, the the idea behind, uh, like, the legacy thing is definitely something that, that players keep in mind now. So, I don't know. Yeah, maybe, I think so, too. Like, Players seem to really like Levine, so maybe he can eventually get to the point where, like, he recruits, like, Bradley Beal or something. Like, St. Louis isn't far. Like, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll, yeah, see. we'll, we'll see, see what they can do. But, yeah. Last off, I talked about this last time, but I cannot believe that the Celtics did not do anything uh, other than <laughs> they got Chris Dunn, Josh Richardson, Al Horford, and they brought back Ennis Cantor. Uh, so they brought back Horford and Cantor. They brought in Sixers legend, uh, one-season legend, uh, Josh Richardson. They brought in Chris Dunn, and they lost Evan Fournier and Kemba Walker and the 16th pick in the draft this year. I, apparently they're looking for flexibility for cap space for next year. Like The, I, the Bradley Beal thing has got to be the only thing in their mind with Tatum having the relationship with him, them growing up together, Beal being able to opt out next year, but also he can sign the Supermax like soon. Yeah. Right. Like I'm just like, if I'm, if I'm Boston and I'm putting all of my eggs in that basket, I just have no idea what the fuck they're doing in the middle of like Tatum. Tatum is like almost at his prime. Like Brown is in his prime or at least close to it. I, yeah. I just don't really understand their, what they're doing at all. I don't see it, and it terrifies me, because every time with the Celtics that I think they're going to be bad forever, then all of a sudden they're better than the Sixers, and I'm like, great, yeah. great, that's great. Um, the fact that a year after Horford played in Philly, um, and the Sixers had to attach a first-round pick to him to trade him for Danny Green, uh, then he plays in OKC. Now, of course, I didn't watch OKC, but Jackson Frank watched OKC, and can attest that Horford was worse in OKC for the few games that he played than he was in Philly, that that happens. And now the Celtics trade the 16th pick with Kemba for him to get him back. Like I know that the length of their contracts are different and that's the impetus behind it. But right. I, I think Horford is cooked. I think that Richardson is like a nightmare to watch play offense. <laughs> um, I, I just think things will be really cramped there. I think that, you know, any sort of smart and Richardson pairing is shaky at best. Um, and their center is going to be, you know, Horford, who's not a reliable shooter anymore. So, yeah, I really don't see it. I, I think that they are, as of today, a bottom half of the playoff teams uh, in the East. Yeah, I can't. I mean, I, I think that they just won't be bad as long as they have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Yeah. Like, that's just like, like, they'll have a, you have two all two young all-stars and like, who knows, maybe Tatum could make a leap into the MVP conversation eventually. Like, I think that they will always be a relevant, like, solid to good team because of them. Uh, but I just am like, 
how can you go from last year and and like not have enough shooting around these guys and not have enough like playmaking around these guys and then your best addition is Al Horford who as you said is looking pretty washed. I think pretty much all he can do now is shoot threes apparently. Like right, that's all he does. Still. Yeah. He's just like a spot up stand still big. And then Josh Richardson, who knows, maybe he could have a career renaissance there. He he had a few good years in Miami before he sucked for us and he sucked for Dallas. But like I've seen people say like, well, he was turned into like uh here's the thing about Josh Richardson. He could turn back into like what he was in Miami, but like th- a lot of people are saying that, like, well, he isn't just, like, a spot-up shooter, which is why he didn't work at Dallas, but in Philly, he needed to do too much creation. Like, and he couldn't how... do that. So I'm like, what offensive value can a player have if they're not a right. great spot-up shooter, if they're not great with the ball, they can't play make all that much? Like, they essentially are now doing what the Sixers did a few years ago, but hoping that Tatum and Brown can make up for that. And I just don't, I, I don't get this at all. Um, I think that unless the Sixers make a splash in, in terms of trades, I think Sixers fans and Celtics fans are both going to be very disappointed with this offseason as they should be. Um, and I, I think with every, pretty much every other decent team, either getting better or at least making moves to try to get better. Like you gotta be, gotta be pretty pissed off as a Celtics fan. <laughs> Yeah, I, I remember when we traded for Richardson, the one thing we felt like we knew was like, okay, he's got this option coming up that'll definitely turn down, and then he's going to get paid. And it's like, no, here we are two two seasons later, and he picked it up, and I think there was no chance he was getting $11 million on the market. So, uh, yeah. you know, Contract year, though. You never know. We'll see. Sometimes these guys have amazing contract years, and like I, I think the Celtics defense will be very good, but like I just think they're asking those guys to do way too much. They don't have a, a, a natural playmaker. They don't have a lot of shooting outside of, like, Peyton Pritchard and the two main guys, and, and Smart's become a yeah. pretty good shooter. But, yeah, I just – I don't get it at all. All right, well, thank you so much, Steve, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Um, hopefully you can come back sometime in the future. And as I say to a lot of my guests, by the time we talk next time, maybe Damian Lillard will be a sixer. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Hey, thank you so much for having me, man. This is a lot of fun. Oh, God. Peace. See ya.